Uh, at the end of the day, if we are prepared and we are ready for that pending change, obviously then you will benefit and reap the benefits of the fourth industrial revolution. In all systems and all ideas, there are always pros and cons, right? So the immediate one, as most people will be feared about, is that the revolution will also create what you call inequality. For example, countries who are not quick in change or adapt to the pending uh, disruption will probably suffer, you know, that implication of the fast-paced change in the technology disruption. Welcome to the Leaders of Learning podcast. I'm your host, Ling Ling. The Leaders of Learning is a podcast show that explores learning in the 21st century with educators, leaders, and entrepreneurs. For more information and to listen to our previous episodes, head over to our website at www.leadersoflearning.asia. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. today's digital age, the pace of change is faster than ever. The impact of the fourth industrial revolution is affecting literally every possible sector and industry. It has resulted in job displacements and involuntary unemployment. The industrial revolution has altered and will be altering the nature of work. How can individuals, organizations, and the world cope with this imminent force of change? What makes us vulnerable? What can we do to ride this wave of change to stay relevant and continuously advance ourselves? Joining us is Dr. Ko Tatsuan, an entrepreneur and CEO of Origin, a consultancy service that focuses on workforce development and lifelong learning. He spent nearly 40 years in public service in the Ministry of Defense, the Ministry of Education, and the Workforce Development Agency. So welcome to the show, Tatsuan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to join us. So what does lifelong learning mean to you? Is it just as simple as constantly looking for things to learn? Well, now, taken at the, its face value, uh, lifelong learning is quite self-explanatory. It is ongoing, it's voluntary, and self-motivated learning throughout the various stages of one's life. Now, it can be done for personal as well as professional reasons, or a mixture of both. So learning actually can be considered as divided into knowledge acquisition and knowledge application. In the past, when we say the learning acquisition, presumably used at the workplace, I mean at the school, at the former place of learning, and later when we apply what we learn uh, at the workplace, for example. But nowadays, due to the increased pace of change, shorten life cycles of skill, competencies, and longer lifespans. So that learning is then better seen as an ongoing cycle as well as feedback loop of knowledge application and knowledge acquisition. Lifelong learning from the perspective of UNESCO, in fact, UNESCO has adopted the uh, Delos uh, report and they explain it in a very nice and uh, easy to understand way. They use a four pillar of uh, learning. So if I may take this opportunity to also explain, the four pillars of lifelong learning is learning to know, 
I mean, it's basically a broad general knowledge with the opportunity to work in depth with, on different subjects. And obviously learning to do with skills in the sense of acquiring not only occupational skills, but also the competence to deal with uh, many situations and to work in teams. And the third, learning to be. Holistically, as human beings, we all want to be who we are. So in that sense, uh, learning to be is about developing one's personality and to be able to act with uh, growing autonomy, judgment, and also uh, personal responsibility. And lastly, of course, is the learning to live together by developing an understanding of other people and also an appreciation of interdependence. So the UNESCO four pillars are learning to know, learning to do, learning to be. And I like the last one, learning to live together. And I think no matter what kind of knowledge we acquire or what we apply, eventually the impact would be how can we live better with the people around us. That's right. Absolutely. I think that that's really a, a universal kind of explanation where that uh, fits in every context and every lifestyle that we have in, in, in different countries as well. Yeah, definitely. I believe the way we learn shapes our life as well. So I'm glad they incorporated in their framework. Now, how is this relevant to the fourth industrial revolution? So what do you believe is going to happen to the world economies with the fourth industrial revolution? And as a worker like me, an everyday worker, how will it impact me and my learning? The founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum wrote, that the fourth industrial revolution will fundamentally alter the way we live, the way we work, and also relate to one another. Now, a quick recap of the past industrial revolutions will provide some clarity here. Now, as we can remember, the first industrial revolution used water and steam to power and mechanize production. And the second industrial revolution utilized electric power to create mass production. And the third revolution used electronics and information technology to automate production. Now, some might argue the fact that uh, then fourth industrial revolution is a prolongation of the third industrial revolution. Yeah, it sounds like it because the fourth industrial revolution does have an element of IT and electronics. So what is the difference? That's right. So the fourth industrial revolution really is uh, a wave of this digital transformation that is categorized, categorized by a range of new technologies that are fusing physical, digital, as well as biological worlds. Now, let me just explain the difference between fourth industrial revolution. There are three aspects of it. One is its velocity, its scope, as well as the extent of system impact. So on the issue of velocity, I think the rate at which current breakthroughs are happening has no historical precedent. When compared with previous revolution, the fourth is evolving at an exponential rather than a linear pace. So meaning to say that the industrial fourth industrial revolution coming in now is happening at a much faster rate than Absolutely. the first, second and third. That's, that's what it means. Absolutely. Okay. And in regards to the scope, I think the fourth is also disrupting almost every industry in every country at varying stages of development whether you are a country which is developing or even a developed country. So what this means for the everyday workers is that no one will be spared from the challenges faced, of the danger of suffering from a skills gap and being made irrelevant if you are not careful. Okay, so for an everyday worker, it sounds like 
the fourth industrial revolution doesn't only touch developed nations because in Singapore we're a developed country, but right. in developing and also emerging countries, they will also be impacted by the fourth yes. industrial revolution in terms of the skills gap. Because uh, each country will have their own uh, development plan, right? And so obviously trying to catch up or trying to introduce new business uh, model and technology would obviously impact in their own context as well. Okay. That sounds quite scary. That means <laughs> fourth industrial revolution affects everyone, pretty much. Lastly, the impact of uh, issue of system impact. Uh, fourth industrial revolution, the depth and the breadth of these changes will herald the transformation of the entire system of production, management, as well as governance. Governance meaning government policies on how to... Yes, uh, to some extent, besides the public policy, even the private sector will have to see what's the best way to collaborate and work with the public sector as well. Although it might be scary, but it sounds like there's an opportunity for everyone to grow and improve their lives with the fourth industrial revolution as well. In fact, as the current landscape, you know that uh, there are billions of people connected by mobile devices and the internet. Obviously, the access to knowledge, the processing power and so on will impact a large community. And precisely because of that, the fourth industrial revolution has this kind of impactful, widespread uh, impact on uh, people as well as the businesses. But at the same time, of course, it's not all this scary about the uh, fourth industrial revolution. It does bring about profits. Uh, it does bring about you know, potential to raise global income area. At the same time, it also improve productivity, the quality of people. But the idea behind this is that uh, at the end of the day, if we are prepared and we are ready for that impending change, and uh, obviously then you will benefit and reap the benefits of the fourth industrial revolution. But having said that, I must also qualify the fact that in all systems and all ideas, there are always pros and cons, right? So the immediate one, as most people will be feared about, is that uh, the revolution will also create what you call inequality. For example, countries uh, who are not quick in, in their change or adapt to the, the impending uh, disruption will probably suffer, you know, that the implication of the fast-paced change in the technology disruption. But having said that, once we are aware of the impending change and we are prepared to work together as a nation and as, uh, with all the stakeholders, I think we should be okay. <laughs> Well, it is an opportunity for us to improve ourselves as well, our livelihoods and the way we work. So in your perspective, how does lifelong learning fit into surviving the fourth industrial revolution? Well, again, let me explain that the fact that against the backdrop, as I just shared earlier about the challenge of staying relevant and employable in the fourth industrial revolution uh, because of the increased pace. So it's very critical for individual to take a proactive approach to their own lifelong learning. This will make them more resilient as well as employable against the worldwide disruption, especially if they can fill the skill gap. If they are aware where they are now and looking forward towards uh, where are the skill gap, obviously they will be able to maneuver their way forward and henceforth uh, able to meet the inevitable labor crunch. As long as we take charge of our own learning and prepare ourselves in terms of our career stage uh, where we are, I think that definitely be a positive move ahead. That sounds fantastic. 
I know, especially in Singapore, there's a lot of talk about lifelong learning because I'm in this field. But as we as we speak to different people, of course, there are some misconceptions that uh, come up about lifelong learning. So what do you believe or what do you observe are the common misconceptions about lifelong learning? Well, as you say, sometimes people are not very clear about lifelong learning, right? So the term lifelong learning could be amorphous, right? And it, because the fact that it has been thrown around in various settings and numerous times, people tend to kind of discard it a bit. I think it's, uh, the very mention of it is, uh, seems passé as well. But I think uh, that's where we have to be very clear that people who are practicing lifelong learning in a very small way, way back, since you can remember, <laughs> time that you can remember. For example, looking out for words uh, from a dictionary is itself uh, lifelong learning, right? And picking up something new on the job or for the matter, even a hobby, it is an opportunity to learn. But I believe that the difference, however, lies in the motivation behind the pursuit of such activities rather than the actual activity itself to be labelled as lifelong learning. So some misconception, I would say that it is, uh, one of them maybe is it's not necessary once someone has obtained their desired career option. You know, that I finished school, that's enough of study, I now have a job, I'm my ideal job, and I don't need to study anymore. Right. And second uh, misconception is, of course, lifelong learning is easy. Well, you just have to pick up something and read and you probably learn something that is good enough, you know. And likewise, uh, also in the contrast, uh, lifelong learning can be perceived as hard, difficult. Let me elaborate this further. Now, on the point of lifelong learning, it's not necessarily once someone has obtained their desired career position. Now, many people believe once they have earned all the degrees that they need uh, in order to get a dream job, uh, their learning days are over. I think this is, uh, especially in the fourth industrial revolution, new technologies and business models are emerging and disrupting economies very rapidly. And it will render someone very quickly. In fact, it was said that uh, if you finish a degree in three years' time, probably whatever you acquire, the knowledge and so on, will be obsolete. Yeah. So therefore, I think this misconception that learning can stop uh, when you have reached some destination of sort. Obviously, the second misconception is that uh, it's not necessarily easy because you need the correct mindset, specifically the growth mindset you know, uh, for success, especially in this digital transformation age where disruption is abound. Uh, again, we should value these challenges in the form of a growth mindset that there are opportunities for us to learn and rather than treat them as uh, obstacles or even threats in that matter. And lastly, of course, the, the misconception that the lifelong learning need not be unduly difficult because people assume that they are not capable of something or learn something or do something or they are not good at it and so on. So this very mindset actually hinders them and they feel that learning is uh, fruitless and, and purposeless and so on. But in the contrast, actually, lifelong learning is purposeful learning. Mm, it is, yeah. It need not be as difficult as one thinks. Yes. Yeah. We mentioned previously about lifelong learning at a national level, at an organizational level, and we've been speaking a lot at an individual level. Is there any difference when it comes to workforce development and lifelong learning at a national level and an organizational level? I often use this metaphor or the car, right? So engine represents the workforce development and the people, the human resource, uh, actually the oil and the lubricants. So 
having so with the human capital or for the human resource that are there. Of quality, then obviously you lubricate the engine, and the engine can be very effective and can prolong its life and so on and so forth. But having that car is representing, let's say, our country, right? So then, if it's without policy, without strategy, the car is as good as not having a car because it's stationary, right? Or it's, or at least for the matter, it's not moving to a direction that we want it to move. So in this context, I think.、Uh, Workforce development basically requires the human being, the workforce, the people who like the oil and the lubricants. As long as they are well prepared for the challenges they want, then they are the one that comprises or, or form the companies, the organizations that、uh, again in turn、uh, supports the economy development. So in this context, I think these three levels, as I would call them,、uh, macro in terms of country, meso in terms of the organization, and the micro are the people. So in this context, then the workforce development involves both the national as well as the company. But in terms of lifelong learning, obviously the country has to learn, the company has to learn, and likewise the people have to learn. Everyone has to learn. Yes. Everyone has to learn. If we view this at a national level, what should all the world's governments focus on in order to prepare their citizens for the fourth industrial revolution? Do they need to prepare their citizens so that they can be technologically savvy or interculturally competent? What What should it, the focus be? Yes, as I said,、uh, because the fourth industrial revolution really is a global、uh, impact. It will definitely changes the requirements of job role and, and as well as the relevant skill sets rapidly. So countries, government are all into this together, and they know that、uh, the impending change and the disruption by technology is、uh, key towards、uh, how they will to continue or survive for the matter. So at the recent World Economic Forum Future of Job report, you also mentioned that there are two areas that are mismatches in terms of current supply on demand of contemporary skills, as well as、uh, between contemporary skills and those skills that are future skills that are required. So obviously, first thing is is to find how do we close those gaps,、uh, which requires. Understanding of the existing skills bases in each of the countries, economy, and industry. Of course, the context is different in Singapore, just like in Malaysia or any other country. Their context will be different, but their skills get obviously will be different. And how then understanding the difference, and then how the disruptive changes will dictate what skills requirements are needed in each unique case. Again, mismatches in skills gap, and also education system plays an important part. In fact,、uh, arcade education system that perhaps will also hinder the rapid transition from where they are to cope with the changes. So it's again important that if the education system is not robust enough or fast enough for to meet the change, then you might even cause high unemployment rate as well. But take an example in Singapore. I think one of the strategy we use in coping with the fourth industrial revolution, or that matter, you know, ongoing challenges that we have faced、uh, as a small country in terms of global impact and so on, is the proactive talent management strategy. Now, in the sense that、uh, there is an important needs for sustained dialogue between the key stakeholders. As I mentioned earlier, the fact that government cannot do this alone. 
You need the key stakeholders like the businesses, the private sector. You need educational institution to come forward, and you also need uh, civil society as a whole, the people themselves, all collaboratively work together. And as long as that is in place, at least half the battle will be won. It's only a matter of strategy and how to move forward cohesively. So I'm convinced that we need lifelong learning. But I'm sure some of our listeners are also convinced that they have to change their ways and decide how to become a lifelong learner. So for our listeners, where do you believe they can start in their lifelong learning journey and what kind of pitfalls they should be aware of in pursuing this lifelong learning path? Okay, the short answer to where you should start on your lifelong learning path depends on which stage of life or career you are in and where you wish to go from here. I believe beginning with the end in mind is uh, important. Otherwise, you will be in a position of Alice talking to the Cheshire cats in the fairy tale Alice in Wonderland. Now, if you recall, Alice asked the cat, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? Yeah, where? (laughs) So to which the cat replied, that depends a great deal on where you want to get to. And Alice then said, I don't care, much care where. Then the cat replied, then it doesn't much matter which way you go. So the moral of the story is that, first of all, we do have to have a good first step to come up with a career plan or a goal that for yourself. Right? And, and then you examine what learning or training opportunities are out there to facilitate your career or life in general. Now, I had mentioned that uh, lifelong learning must be purposeful. Of course, then it serves to enrich you as an individual. And remember the four pillars of the learning. So you do need to be mindful, uh, like what programs or learning opportunities are out there and benefit from them. In fact, the pitfall, I would say that even if you come up with a plan to embark on learning new skills and to ensure that your continual relevance and employability but you must be also wary about what's happening in the reality, right? So obviously keeping in touch and be uh, aware of what's happening, the changes in the industry do give you an opportunity to adjust your plan or, or you know, kind of uh, be aligned to what's going on in, in reality. So while plan is important, but obviously you have to also keep abreast with the news on development in the area of your industry. And so changes that happens in that particular industry they are in. But a good, perhaps a vo- a advice that I may want to share is about, okay, if you are at this current situation, perhaps moving up the value change of skills that generally will further you out of the reach of, you know, being obsolete or you'll be replaced a job by machine and so on might be a, a good strategy for a start. <laughs> I'm not sure that's possible, but definitely that is something that people are all aspiring to because if machine can help us to do the routine and mundane work. Obviously, we need to find jobs that are level higher so that we can value add to, you know, to the organization and to the people we work for as well. Not only a level higher, but if uh, machines and computers are able to take away all the boring jobs, that means all the interesting jobs go to us, right? Of course. And, then, <laughs> and that's exactly what we should be working towards as well. Exactly. Thank you so much for your time, uh, That's one. Any key advice you can give to our listeners? about lifelong learning before we wrap up today's session? Yeah, of course, I think, uh, yes, I'm actually hoping to share four points. First, of course, is the focus on growth. 
right? So it, uh, learning starts and ends with individual, right? So uh, there's no limits to learning and it is not intelligence that matters. It's really the hard work and the practice and the day, day in, day out of, you know, uh, efforts in practicing what we learn, apply what we learn that makes us uh, an expert to some extent. Secondly, it's also that uh, develop what we call multiple verticals. Now, in the past, we used to, like, uh, once we finish school, we uh, major in certain industry uh, uh, and discipline. And we think that's enough. And we will just continue to work. And during the job, on the job, we will acquire necessary, you know, integrative skills to be better. But today's, uh, like I said, fourth, for that matter, times has changed. Things move very fast, and we are staying in the in the job in the career for 40, 50 years. It's a long time compared to in the past. So obviously, at some point, we will have a lot of career change transition. No longer can we work with a single organization for the whole span of our career life, and therefore, it is uh, used to be what we call a T shape. That means a single vertical versus a horizontal scale. Now we are working, or at least work towards aspiring a pie shape where there are two verticals, there are two specialized domains that you should work on during your color span. Or even better still, if there's a necessity, uh, M-shaped profile, that means you have three or more verticals. So in a way, it's a good thing because then you can learn new things, do new things, different things of your interest and like. Mm -hmm. That gives you the variety. I think we'll need another episode about your T-shape, M-shape, pie-shape. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the technical jargon and so on. But I oh, think it's, it's really interesting. And I'm sure our listeners will be thinking about their career development and lifelong learning after listening to this episode. So if our listeners want to get in touch with you, that's one. How can they do so? My website is www.ori9inco. Otherwise, yeah, you can get hold of me at LinkedIn. I have a profile there as well. But thank you, Lin Ling, for your time. In fact, it was really a, a great opportunity for me to share what I learned. And this is one of a way of lifelong learning because by teaching others, hopefully I learn myself as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on the show. That's one. I definitely have learned a lot from you and I hope our listeners would have gained a lot from this as well. Thank, thank you, you again. Thank you. Thank you, Lin Ling. That was Dr. Ko Tatsuan sharing his perspective on lifelong learning in the fourth industrial revolution. Listen to our next episode where we speak about how to be authentic online with Janicia Alora, former Miss Singapore and the founder of Soul Rich Women, Southeast Asia's first female entrepreneur network. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, take a moment to rate and review us wherever you download your podcast. Follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also visit our website at www.leadersoflearning.asia to listen to our previous episodes. If you believe this podcast show will help a colleague, friend, or family member, please share this episode with them via social media or your podcast app. I'm your host, Ling Ling. Thank you for listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast.